Here's what's coming up on Hot Takes and Shot Fakes. I'm of the opinion that Maury is acting for his job, just like I'm of the opinion that Dan Tony is coaching for his job. This is a move that's in line with the system that he likes to run. So it's basically, we'll worry about the postseason when the postseason gets here. For the here and now, this is probably our best option. So I like it for the Rockets as well. I don't know if it will ultimately work, but I think, I think it's a move that you probably have to make. I just hate this notion that Pat Riley is this genius when like basically every move he made in the years after LeBron was awful and he got lucky that Jimmy Butler wanted to go to Miami this year. But that, that's what it was. Like there's no big culture change. It's the fact that Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the game and Jimmy Butler, you know, you got one of the 10 to 12 best players in the league just decided he wanted to go play in Miami. Pat Riley is the godfather of frauds. This is Hot Takes and Shot Fakes, presented by Hoop Magazine. Here are your hosts, Josh Everly and Jabari Davis. We are back and we appreciate you tuning in to Hot Takes and Shot Fakes, episode 99 this week. Jabari Davis and Josh Everly back here with you once again. Remember to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast in all the appropriate places, as well as keeping that feedback coming via Twitter. That's at Josh Everly and at Jabari Davis NBA uh, for the show. Topics today will include all the deals that we got at this year's NBA trade deadline. Uh, while we won't try to predict the immediate winners of each deal, we will try to determine whether the deals addressed a need uh, for each team, whether that was the present or the future. We'll also have a look at the Knicks front office situation with Leon Rose reportedly uh, is going to be the guy running things uh, after Steve Mills' uh, separation earlier in the week. We'll also have a final, take a final look at the all-star rosters now that they've been set and whether we actually think we may get a competitive game this year. Fingers crossed on that. How are we doing this week, Josh? Doing well. Putting a long week. Uh, <laughs> trying to keep my basketball team afloat here as we head into playoffs and uh, getting ready for the all-star week coming up. Now, by your basketball team, do you mean the Dallas Mavericks or are you doing fantasy basketball this year? I'm talking about the little guys on coach. But Dallas Mavericks, too. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how is your team doing? Uh, we're not the Clippers or the Bucks this year. We'll say that. All right. Well, good luck. Good luck to all those guys. Good luck to all <laughs> those guys. All right. Should we go ahead and jump into these trades since we have so many of them to, to address? Yeah, let's go. All right. Let's go. First one out of the blocks, the Warriors trade D'Angelo Russell, Omari Spellman, and Jacob Evans for Andrew Wiggins, a top three protected 21, uh, excuse me, 2021 uh, first round pick, as well as a 2021 uh, second round pick. So I come to you and ask this, does it solve the issue you know, for the Wolves in that you're bringing in D'Lo to pair with Cat, and obviously that's a guy that, you know, can set him up a bit better as well as, you know, get his. Also, given the fact that they're actually friends and seemingly have wanted to play together for a long period of time. Yeah, it's an interesting move. And I, I guess from the Timberwolves' perspective, I get it. I think it works. I think it, it really helps probably keep Towns happy. Um, posted the Athletic article this morning. I think John Krasinski does a good job um, covering the, uh, the Wolves out there. And he was talking, there was a quote, it kind of annoyed me from, from Towns. Like I'm always, and I'm going to try to find it, but paraphrasing basically says Towns tells him, I'm always going to think about D'Lo and being here as long as he's here. And it, it is insane to me that this remains a talking point when he's in year one of a five-year extension. And the exact quote is, I think with D'Lo here, it's always going to be a big incentive for me to want to stay. And that, it just triggers me because it's like, dude, you're there five years. You just signed a five-year contract. 
But again, that was a very obvious motivator for the Wolves when they made this trade. Um, I think D'Lo has probably proven he's been better than – well, he, he has been better than Wiggins to date. There's not really any negative to this move for them. But what about in terms of the fit? And the reason why I asked that, because I, I was left wondering, well, what else do they need to move in, you know, you know, moving forward or moving into next year? Because specifically, it looks to me like they've got a roster that needs defenders and long wings like Covington, whom they just gave up. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to play a lot of defense. But if this is a team, this is a team that knows they're not going to the playoffs this year, they know they have another year or two to figure things out now that Cat is hopefully happy with D'Lo there. And, you know, the, both of them are locked up. So I, th- I think they're probably taking a long-term approach, which is crazy to say when you've had a decade of missing the playoffs and been terrible and had all these lottery picks. But I, I kind of like what they've done. I mean, they, they've set themselves up with some flexibility and with two guys they believe in who believe in each other. And from that perspective, given the climate of today's NBA, where if you don't keep people happy, the team doesn't stay together, I think that's the right move. All right, I can appreciate that. And, you know, I'm not going to ask you, you know, you know, what the expectation will be until we elect, actually see them, you know, in action for at least, the last, you know, the last 30 to 35 games of the season. But what about on the flip side of this, you know, for the Warriors with Wiggins under contract for the next three years moving forward? Can he fill that void at the small forward position and I guess be somewhere between Harrison Barnes and Kevin Durant, hopefully closer to Kevin Durant, uh, in terms of effectiveness alongside a fully healthy Steph and Clay next season? Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm so torn on Wiggins. Like there, there's a part of me, and I thought I thought I had turned my back on Andrew Wiggins. You know, with with how little respect he's given the national program, and when the news broke, uh, and I forget who broke the story about you know the demands that he wanted to play for Team Canada and the lack of you know support he's really given a country that really really tried to will him into being the next best thing. It, it really did irk me, but. I, I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not over him because as soon as he got traded, I kind of lit up a bit and I was like, well, that's about as good of a place you can have as you could hope for for a second chance. And I think they're hoping, you know, with, with the athletic ability that he has, and I think people forget because they don't watch the Timberwolves and because of the way he plays, but he's one of the best athletes in the NBA. And if they could just figure out how to get him to commit on defense and if Draymond rides him hard enough and all those things come together, I, I think there's a chance he's a productive player for them. But that – being said, like being a productive player and what he's getting paid is a pretty, pretty steep deficit there. Yeah, you you know you actually took me to exactly where I was going to go, and you, and it, it's funny you mentioned how much he's getting paid. I should mention he's making twenty nine, thirty one, and thirty three, uh, obviously million over the next three years. But you know, bringing it back to where you were kind of leading it, I'm wondering can Kerr and that staff finally get the most out of Wiggins now that he'll be one of the you know it probably in the most ideal situation for him at this stage in his career. And I could see it go one of two ways, right? Like, I mean, Curry and Clay come back and next year and they're like, look, you know, we're getting older, but we're still who we are. And Dre's here and who knows how many years he has left. Like, let's, let's go out and do this thing. And Draymond Green dogs him and he grinds his butt off and he's in the most improved player race, which I think would be an amazing story. I'd be really happy for him. I feel terrible for Minnesota fans finally seeing him put it all together somewhere else. But I think that's possible, but I think it's just equally likely that he continues to settle for bad shots, doesn't commit to playing hard defense, struggles to find a role when Curry and Clay are out there, and Draymond and him get into it because he's not going to take kindly to someone running on him if he's not bought all the way. So definitely hoping for the best on Wiggins. I'm not sure what that pick looks like next year. 
want to see what else the Wolves do between now and then. But uh, it was an interesting move from the Warriors' perspective. And, you know, people tried to paint it as an anti-Delo thing. Like, what does it say that they're trading him for a guy in Wiggins who's done nothing with that terrible deal? But I think the Warriors very much know that they, they need long athletes to play on the perimeter. And they just – they don't have them. They have, they have nobody like that with Durant gone, Nick Adala gone, even Glenn Robinson gone. They've got nobody that can defend that 2-3-4 adequately and even though I don't feel confident in saying Wiggins can do it today I think they do look at at the promise he still has and and they're hopeful yeah I'm gonna be honest with you I saw some of the you know like that it, it pointed to anti-Delo uh, and anti-Delo sentiment I saw some of that on Twitter I agree with you I, I don't think that's what that means to be honest with you that you know that contract that they gave him this year while yes it would have been great if you know like if all of a sudden you know uh, Steph were to play with him for 20 games and that would have looked great but let us be real that, that that was always designed to be moved moving forward uh you know so in terms of you know the warriors while you know I don't want you to make necessarily a prediction what do you think do you think that if Wiggins is say just a league average guy and they get all of those guys back fully healthy do you think that puts them back in the mix for a, for title contention or just, the, you know, like say the hall of very good as we kind of you know, alluded to at times? I, I think it could be title contention. Like I honestly felt that if Curry was healthier this year, the team would be different. The effort would be different and guys would have been playing more games. And, you know, the day the D-Lo was traded there, that was like, well, I wonder what they'll get for him. Or they're definitely moving him. Like there was no, there wasn't a lot of optimism for them being long-term. Uh, I have to comment on this because I just looked at it as I was kind of looking through the numbers, both of them as we chat here. Did we know that they were exactly one year apart, Wiggins and Russell? I actually did not. Who, wait, like, who's older? Is, is D'Angelo Russell older? Well, that's what I was looking at too, right? No, Wiggins is older, barely. Uh-huh. One year older to the day. They're both born February 23rd. Wiggins in 95 and Russell in 96. That's, that's eerie, man. It, it is. And, not, and you know, honestly, it makes me feel super old because I was in high school. All right. Let's, let's keep it moving to the ne- you know, next up. We had a deal and I went with this one because I, you know, of the overall impact on the eventual title run. Uh, but we had a deal between the Clippers, Knicks and Wizards uh, that made actually made me reorder my top teams in the league. We'll get to that you know, in a bit. Uh, but the Clippers wound up with Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas, although the rumor is that IT will eventually get waived. Uh, the Knicks ended up with Mo Harkless. Uh, at which we've heard rumors of the same thing for him. Uh, but as a 2020 first round pick, you know, from the Clippers and a 2023 second round pick that once, you know, belonged to Detroit and the Wizards uh, wound up with Jerome Robinson uh, for the Clippers side of things. Uh, they were not only able to, you know, to keep Morris away from other teams like the Lakers and, and you know, maybe even potentially the Rockets, but they also continued, in my opinion, to solidify uh, the roster with some toughness, Obviously, some three-point shooting, you know, as Morris is shooting a career-high 44% from deep this year. And they also got brought in another guy that they can throw on the bigger scores like LeBron, Harden, and even a Giannis in a, you know, hypothetical series that they have with them. What were your thoughts on what the Clippers did with this deal? Well, my, my thought is it's, it's hard to like Marcus Morris right now and in general, uh, yeah. if he's not on your team especially. But uh, I think he's a good pickup. I think, you know, 44% from three on over six a game is, is no joke, especially on a Knicks team where, like, it's not like they've got tons of other shooters to be closing out on. I, like, I think that's impressive. I do think he was a meaningful contributor in Boston. You know, I know Hayward was hurt, but there was definitely times where he looked like the third best forward guard on that team, not Hayward. Um, 
He's a guy who's touted for his defense. Whether that's still the case or not, I don't know. But, you know, bringing, he's an obvious upgrade over Maurice Harkless. I think the versatility that he gives the Clippers with a George Leonard Morris lineup out there is insane, especially with Beverly at point. Uh, I, de- I definitely think it's an understated but exciting move for the Clippers. And I don't, I don't know if it, it changed it because I thought the Clippers were going to win the title coming into the year. But, yeah, it solidified that idea. Any thoughts to the idea, even you know, even with you, you know, kind of throwing out there that you you know you predicted them to win the title. But any thought to the idea that they should have still solidified that five position with a bit more size in the event that they face some of the larger teams, uh, whether it's in the Western Conference or in the in the ultimate finals? I'm just I'm just wondering about who's gonna be there that they can't outscore that they're worried about beating them down low. And I just I don't, I don't see it. I, I, as much as, like, we're, obviously we're going to get to the Capella deal, but I, I don't see a big, in the later rounds of the playoffs, punishing a team to such an extent that they regret the fact that they don't have a legit five out there. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think the Clippers will survive. And I think, you know, honestly, for as much as AD is always touted for beating up on, you know, Draymond Green and P.J. Tucker and smaller guys, you know, his teams don't win a lot of those games. And I, I think the league has changed. So, no, I, I, think, I think the Clippers did well. I think getting another forward that you trust to play 30 minutes a night and that can switch and shoot the three was the move. Yeah, I think I think some of the the Clippers need to get a five or you know some you know some mass at the five. I think it was being a bit you know, overstated, but I will also yeah playing devil's advocate here. I know that we don't like that, but playing devil's advocate here, uh, AD teams in the past didn't have LeBron on it. So like just putting that out there. So let me ask you this: If the Knicks wind up buying, you know, Harkless out or waving him, or however that you know that one you know, winds up working out, is there a team or specifically a contender he could you know help put over the top? I don't think there's anyone he puts over the top. I think I think he's a good player. I think that just about everyone would like to have him in the rotation because he does d up. He can switch, and he's I mean he's the the lowest version of that Rob Covington mold, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, you know, Mo Harkless giving you 15 minutes in the playoff is going to put anyone over the top. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you said he's a rotational guy. I, I put down in my notes, I think he's a solid rotational guy that can do a lot of the little things that you don't always notice until you take a, a closer look at him. But I will state, I do think that he could help this Lakers team, you know, giving them some size at the 2-3. Uh, and I also think he could help your Mavericks team. But I, I think, like, Harkless is a guy who's not going to play two. I think Harkless is a guy that's going to play 3-4. Yeah, think- okay. I, I, and I think, like, if, if the Lakers picked him up, there's scenarios where, you know, you don't need Kuzma out there taking shots. Like, Harkless might give you better minutes because he D's up and he knows his role. But, like, on a whole, do I think he's going to tip a series now? All right, fair enough. Let's keep it going. Uh, the Sixers and Warriors also agreed to a deal that uh, Philly fans – are you would expect them to be hoping you know, that, you know, that it will remedy some of their spacing and shooting issues. Philly wound up with Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III, while Golden State received a 2020 second uh, that once belonged to Dallas, as well as a 2021 second that once belonged to Denver, and a 2022 second uh, that came from the Raptors. Look, Robinson is shooting, you know, excuse me, is a career 38% shooter you know, from deep and is actually checking in at 40% you know, from beyond the arc on the year. Uh, while Burks is actually having a really good year, excuse me, was actually having a really good year for the Warriors and was putting up right around 16 points, five, you know, excuse me, five rebounds and three assists while knocking down just under 38% uh, 
of his shots from beyond the arc. So that's the you know, that's the main thing. Philly has been struggling. What they're but what they've been trying to do clearly has not been working. Do you think that's enough to get them over the top, or at least make uh, calm things down there in Philly? Just really quickly, not that we need to talk about this before we get to the Warriors. I just want to say good on the Knicks for cashing in on Marcus Morris. Like for all the criticism they get, they mm-hmm. stole a guy from the Spurs at the last moment and they flipped them for a first round pick. Like that's what you're supposed to do with money when you can't compete. So good on Absolutely. them for actually making a good move there. Um, on the Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson front, I think both of these guys are good rotation players. I think both of them help to some degree and upgrade what Philly has. But again, Philly's problem to me is in depth. It's, it's not talent. It's not coaching. It's not direction. It's not focus. It's not leadership. Sorry, Charles Barkley. It's simply the <laughs> fact that there are two blueprints laid out and the team doesn't know who they are. There's no identity. Now, I think that's fair. All right, so prediction time. Philly currently sits at 31-21. and 21. It's uh, good for six in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, no one – well, I shouldn't say obviously. It doesn't appear that anyone's going to catch the Bucs, you know, which uh, you know, remains on pace for 70 wins. Uh, but Philly is just six and a half games behind the Raptors, you know, who's currently sit in the second in the second spot, and they're within reach of a bunch of teams. Could this move? Maybe it doesn't put them over the top, but could it at least pay off enough for Philly to leapfrog and you know summit several of these teams to in order to lock down a home you know home court situation in the first round of the playoffs? No, I don't think so. I think Philadelphia is where Boston is last year, where okay. they have a lot of talent and people see on the roster they're like they're an outside title contender type team, but they're not cohesive and it's not going to come together just like it didn't come together for the Celtics last year. Like I, I think for all the talk and, and the BS you hear about this team has great culture and this team has great culture and Lord knows I want to rip into Pat Riley today. So maybe we get a chance to do that later, but the Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green for nothing are playing Rondé Hollis Jefferson and, Terrence Davis, and they missed Lowry for a quarter of the season, Siakam for 10 games, and they have 37 wins on a winning streak equal to the same amount of wins that the Warriors have this season. Like there is something to – when everyone has the same goal and the team is cohesive and guys have, you know, won before and know how to win, that matters because the Raptors aren't the second most talented team in the East. I just don't I, – I don't believe it. You know, like with Lowry at his age and, and the jump that Siakam had, great, but – there's there something to be said for that chemistry and that cohesive way of playing together, that veteran experience, whatever, you know, token cliche you want to throw in there. The Raptors have it and the Sixers don't. And, I, you know, the Celtics have it too. Like the Celtics like playing with each other this year. They know who's who. There's a pecking order. They're, you know, I don't know. But the Sixers don't have it. They just I, – I don't believe. So I went into the year saying that if Philly, you know, or maybe it was uh, just after the year started, basically stating that if Philly doesn't put it together this year, Brett Brown is, I, I believe, is going to be out. But ultimately, are they also going to you know, have to make that decision in terms of, you know, building around either Embiid or Simmons this summer? Well, I think they do. Yeah, I, I think they have to make that decision. And and I know that, like, statistically, they've been really good with Joel Embiid on the floor, and that is – that's all well and good. But this idea that bigs are on the way out, but Joel Embiid is somehow okay when his durability is the most frightening asterisk in the league and he's not in shape and he does, doesn't play with pace and he's not a great shooter. Like, I, I just know. Like, yeah, you have to choose. And if you want to slow it down, you need to get four guys who can switch and shoot when he's posting up. And if, and if you want to go with Simmons, you've got to get a haul back 
for Embiid, for guys that can run and space the floor. I, I, you got to choose. And I, I, I know it's a small sample, but I'm going to say it because we do it for Kyrie. So why wouldn't we do it for Embiid? You know, Embiid mm-hmm. goes down. The Sixers were way more fun. They were so much fun for that nine games, watching Ben Simmons do what he does. And that's neither here nor there. But they were six and three. And the only losses they had were to the Raptors, who won 12 straight, to the Pacers, who have played well of late, and to the Mavericks, who've been good all year. They beat Boston, they beat Brooklyn, beat Chicago, beat New York, beat Brooklyn again, and beat the Lakers. Now, since Embiid's been back, they're one and four. Like, they beat Golden State, which is, you know, arguably the worst team in the league. Then they beat, and then they lost to Atlanta, who's terrible, Boston, Miami, and Milwaukee. And Joel Embiid was minus 25 against Boston. He's minus 16 against Miami. I know he's working his way back, but I, I don't know, man. Like, it, they don't know who they are. And the team adjusted when Embiid's gone. Now they're going to adjust to him back, and I think they'll, they'll close the year on a higher note. But, again, like, they're going to go into the playoffs, and they're not going to know who's who. So the only question I have related to that is, while, yes, of course, a nine-game stretch, yes, it's small sample size, but, you know, it can be indicative of, you know, what you've got going on right now. Which of those two stars do you think it would be easier to put a, a um, playoff, you know, winner around? I think Embiid is easier to win a round, and Simmons is easier to win the title. Fair enough. So the uh, the only the remain, only remaining question I have about this you know scenario is actually related to uh, two answers ago. You mentioned uh, a couple teams that you know they they have it. You know the Celtics being one of them. They have, you know and the Raptors being one of them when it comes to like guys liking to play together and and essentially saying that they have a good culture. How come you didn't mention the Heat? Because the Heat are frauds. Oh. <laughs> straight up frauds huh pat riley is the godfather of frauds i saw a quote this morning from him and let me just pull it up before i butcher the hell out of it like i did the cat one but pat Pat riley was talking about um two five reasons sports i believe is the uh the outlet that covered it okay (laughs) (laughs) and uh he's he's talking about like ever since you know the waiters issue there's been uh, no, no, nothing. Like there's no ground given. If you if you're hurt, you play. You practice hard. Um, dating back to the white side trade, anyone who's challenged the culture, get in shape, practice hard, accept your role, play hurt, or you're gone. Was the quote. And aside from the fact that playing hurt is is some stupid bush league old man nonsense, I, I just hate this notion that Pat Riley is this genius when like basically every move he made in the, in the years after LeBron was awful. And he got lucky that Jimmy Butler wanted to go to Miami this year. But that, that's what it was. Like, there's no big culture change. It's not that they got rid of Hassan Whiteside, who's actually giving Portland productive minutes. It's the fact that Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the game. And Jimmy Butler, you know, you got one of the 10 to 12 best players in the league just decided he wanted to go play in Miami. You know, if, so- if, LeBron, if LeBron wasn't best friends with Dwayne Wade, Pat Riley probably wouldn't have his job right now because the Heat wouldn't have done anything post-Shack. Well, I mean, he's part owner, so I yeah, but but I, I'm, I'm with you. I was going to say I can go halfway with you, uh, specifically, you know, in what you, you know, almost wrapped up with, because I don't think Spoh's and, and, and the job that his, you know, his uh, crew there, I don't think there's any way that we can call that, a, you know, uh, call that fraudulent. I also, to be honest with you, 
I don't think, you know, I think the players genuinely do like playing for one another. It, it appears to me, I've watched, I don't know, I've watched, uh, you know, eight to 10 of their games this year, you know, in totality, as well as, you know, bits and pieces of another, you know, 10 games. Those guys play hard. Those guys enjoy playing for Spolstra because if they did not, they would not be playing as hard as they do. Now, I will go with you in the, in, in the sense that some of the lore around Riley is, you know, is a bit of, of just that. It's, it's folklore. It's, you know, it's, it's us all wanting to pay respect to one of the OGs. And while I understand that, I can't, I can't fully go all, you know, all the way when, some, when, when folks start talking about how he's the greatest and, you know, he's the GOAT. Come on now. Let, let's stop. Yeah, it just gets crazy. I mean, like, the Heatles coming together was because those three guys wanted to play together and had literally nothing to do with Riley. It was yeah, the relationship. Yeah, in South Beach. Yeah, and would you rather play in Miami, Cleveland, or Toronto? Like, come on. Conversation then, over. And then, like, what? Like, the Luol Dang and uh, Joe Johnson, Dion Waiters, James, J- James Johnson, Kelly. Like, come on. He's done nothing. He's thrown money at anyone who would take it since, and they've done nothing. He's just fortunate Jimmy walked. And I'm not saying they don't like each other. I do. And I think Jimmy Butler, his, like, competitive nature worked well with Riley. And I, I really do think Spolstra – only, the only coach in the league right now that I take over Spolstra is Rick Carla. It's the only right. guy in the league. But I, at, at the end of the day, I don't think this is like a, oh, yeah, it's because I make you stay to a certain weight in the offseason and I say no excuses when I see you in the hallway. No, man, it's because Bam Adebayo is a talented guy. It's because Jimmy came. It's because he found a bunch of studs later in the draft. Um, you know, credit there, I guess. But, no, I, I don't know. I don't see it like that. I, you know what? We, we can't be dismissive of that because he did – you know, he has done a good job, with, you know, with his drafts. You know, whether that's the scouting department or, you know, like, or uh, you know, a combination of him and, you know, several other guys, he has done a good job. But I, you know, I agree with you. We, we go too far at times. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about the four-team deal uh, between the Rockets, Wolves, Nuggets, and Hawks. Uh, the Rockets wound up with Robert Covington and Jordan Bell. The Hawks received Clint Capella and Nene, although I did he- – if, if I'm not mistaken, I heard that he's retiring. Uh, the Wolves ended up with Malik Beasley, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, Evan Turner, and Jared Vanderbilt, as well as a first-round pick that previously belonged to the Nets. Uh, the Nuggets ended up with Gerald Green, Noah Vonley. I don't know how to say this gentleman's name. Kaita, if I'm not mistaken, Bate uh, Diop as well as Shabazz Napier and a first-round pick from the Rockets. And it, uh, so I look at this as, you know, like first things first, the Rockets are clearly going all in with, with their small ball lineups and really opening the floor for Harden and Westbrook, which obviously plays to their skill sets. But, you know, the, the question that I will always have or I will have, you know, for the remainder of the season is, will it work long time, particularly once again in a series, when a team can focus in and attack the, their holes and weaknesses? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 um, I don't know. Like, you know, my, my initial take was like, I just don't know that Clint Capella for Robert Covington is a great move. Mm. I, I, I don't know how it plays out. It, it would be, I, I'm, I keep going back and forth on it. Here are the two things I do feel strongly about in this situation. One, this is a Daryl Morey move, and Morey's back to being the guy he's supposed to be that mm. believes the numbers. Because the numbers do tell us that the Rockets were better in the playoffs without Capella. The numbers do tell us the traditional centers are on the way up. This isn't a let's just roll the dice in Westbrook and see how that goes, even though it doesn't make sense analytically. This isn't a, you know, James Harden's behind the scenes pulling strings. Like this was a move from Maury. This is Maury ball. And, and I think that in itself is a good thing. Like they, they have some direction. This is a move that he obviously wanted to make. Now, 
the other thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll quote Jared Wade, who tweeted, um, basically, crit, he says, critics, the NBA is all the same now. This is so boring. Mm-hmm. Houston, then he's got Houston, says, fine, we'll do something revolutionary. Back to critics. What are you thinking? And, and this is bang on, right? I mean, yeah, there's all this negativity this year for a lot of reasons. And the Rockets, who you know, garner an awful lot of negativity for the way that James Harden plays and Westbrook plays and, and all the things that they do. They're out there. They're like, we're all in. We're all in on small ball. We're going to have five guys who can switch. We're going to space the four. We don't give a damn about height. We don't give a damn about defensive and offensive rebounds. We are going to outscore you every single night, and we're going to make it hard for you to, to outshoot us in the game. And I respect it. Like, I, I respect it. I, I respect this all-in move. Does it totally work? I don't know. Are they going to miss him in, in Capella in the playoffs? when they miss 27 straight threes and have nobody to grab an offensive rebound, maybe. But I like it. I, I think this is a gutsy play, and I don't think the Rockets are winning a title before. I'm not sure they are now. But I, I think, honestly, I'm more likely to buy in than I was before. I love it like this. The Rockets had to swing for the fences because they didn't really have any other alternative. It did. It was not working with Capella, regardless of what you know whether uh, you know he was a rim protector and you know was great on the roll and, and the lob. It simply wasn't working. So you know you mentioned earlier that Maury you know with, you know went back to you know what's truly him. You know he's at if I'm not you know like if if I'm of the opinion that Maury is acting and you know GMing I guess you could say you know for his job just like I'm of the opinion that Dan Tony is coaching for his job this is a move that you know while Dan Tony I'm, I'm I'm not saying that he had anything against Capello or that he has anything against centers to begin with but this is also a move that's in line with the system that he he likes to run so like you know we'll worry about it's basically we'll worry about the postseason when the postseason gets here for the here and now this is probably our best option so I like it for the Rockets as well I don't know if it will ultimately work but I think I think it's a move that you probably have to make given the fact that you know as they were currently as they were previously constituted they were not going to win so let's go ahead and transition uh, the conversation to the Hawks because I'm interested in seeing what Capella looks like alongside John Collins and obviously running the court uh, with Trey because I do think that that could be fun since he's under contract for another three years what do you think this means for the you know for the Hawks it's an interesting move I just if you're going away from the traditional center because you have a high usage guard who can mm-hmm. do it all and you need five, four other guys who can cover and switch for him at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, if one team's betting against that, like why are the Hawks betting with that? Like, you know, when they have Trey Young, I, and I just don't, John Collins isn't a four in today's league. He's a five. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like Clint Capella of two years ago, this is a team, the Rockets, who looked like they could win a title. And Clint Capella was like a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. And he got the Kevin Looney love for switching on screens and moving his feet against guards. And he hasn't been that guy for two years. So if he's going to come back and be that guy, I think the Hawks did great. If if he's not going to come back and be that guy, then I don't know where he fits amongst the pieces they already have. So, Yeah. yeah. I, I think you could be right in terms of uh, Collins, you know, in, in the current league, it, it, under the current landscape, he probably is a five. So it'll be interesting to see what that mix looks like. Uh, but to be honest with you, what this looks like for me, for the Hawks is it looks like they needed to make a deal in order to, you know, satiate or appease uh, an a, a obviously frustrated Trey Young. We've already, like, you know, we mentioned this on the show before. We've already heard about several different times this year where he voiced, you know, you know, a certain amount or a certain level of frustration. We've covered the fact that, you know what, you're in year two, maybe calm down with that, but I also get it. What this looks like to me is, 
you remember the deal that they were, you know, you know, what they were reportedly, you know, that was imminent before the, you know, which was, you know, Andre Drummond. It looks like a better version of a, of a, you know, hey, look, we did something. Yeah, I mean, uh, Trey said something about like it's so exciting that we got him, and I'm glad that helps. But again, infuriating. Who the yeah. hell cares what Trey thinks in year two of his rookie deal? Like he's going to be an RFA after this. Like you're it, you're, you're in a rebuild. Like who who cares, man? Like I I don't know. It is important. I'm sorry. It is important uh, to at least you know take it under consideration. But you're right. You know, he's yeah, he's not going to be no. anytime soon. So yeah, you're you're right. You don't have you're to right. treat it that way. It does care. I'm just annoyed. Like it, it does matter because yeah. we are in that era. But it, it, it's, it's just beyond stupid that a team is in a rebuild. He's in year two and he's unhappy. Like this is just yeah. the reality. It's not easy to win. It takes time to build a winner. It takes time for DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish to become John Collins, become the players they're going to play and to forge a culture and have an identity and you know get used to each other and like. I don't think Clint Capella is going to fast forward that all that much, to be honest with you. But if it helps him and it keeps them happy and that's good for the franchise, good for the franchise. I'll put it like this. If one of those small forwards can actually pop over the next you know, year or two, this could be a team that, you know, like we both predicted, you know, that could compete for a playoff team and be really fun. But that's a big if. So in terms of the other teams, I didn't really see much in terms of immediate impact for the Nuggets and Wolves, although I I do suppose it did give the Wolves some additional length at the two and three. Do you see anything else for those teams? Actually, I think Malik Beasley is underrated. I think think Malik Beasley, though he hasn't been great this year and he's seen less minutes, I think, you know, in 18 games starting last year, he he was a plus – I think there were at times last year where I was legitimately watching Beasley and I was like, I think this guy's better than Gary Harris. And, you know, Gary Harris got paid and, you know, they are where they are. And, you know, from Denver guys, they were talking about like, they were going to lose them anyway in free agency. We're going to be able to pay him. I get it. But at the same time, I kind of hate this for Denver because I guess some of the the rumor mill was that like they were moving him, but they were getting this pick and they were going to make another move to push this year. Now, where did we start this year? We started this year with this concept, this idea that a bunch of teams had a chance at the title. And the Denver Nuggets are playing really good basketball right now. And they have a chance. And Jokic has been great after his tremendously slow start. And Jamal Murray has been banged up, and they're still winning. And now you're going to dump a guy in Malik Beasley, who last year 40% from three on over five a game, gave you good minutes, was solid depth when you had injuries. And you're going to dump him instead of holding on to him for a playoff run? I, I think that's a gutless move on the Nuggets' part. And I think the Timberwolves did well to pick him up, scoop him up, because I think, I think he's a real player. You know, it's funny. I think gutless is a bit strong, but I will say this. It seemed to me like Malik Beasley was simply the odd man out. You know, like I, I think it's great that Denver has nine, ten guys that can all play basketball. But ultimately, if you're trying to work in minutes for Michael Porter Jr., you're trying to you know, work in a lot of those guys, somebody's not going to be able to play. So, you know, as you mentioned you know, a bit earlier, if they had already made the determination that they weren't going to pay him moving forward, I do, I do, I guess I do understand it for, you know, from that perspective. And I guess, like, for me, too, like, I'm not sold on – like, Gary Harris has been brutal this year. Mm-hmm. He's been brutal. I, I, I don't know that I would – I would have maybe seen what was available for him because Gary Harris hasn't earned the role that he's gotten in Denver. And I also don't like Will Barton. Will, Will Barton is a six-man gunner, and he doesn't know when and when not to pull the trigger. And at times in the playoffs last year, he was just infuriating to watch. Now, there's a place for that guy on that team – 
but <clears throat> there's no reason that him and Beasley couldn't have coexisted. So I, I, I think maybe Denver has chosen wrong on Harris over Beasley or might regret not having the depth if someone goes down the playoffs. So I, that, that's why I say gutless because you're a team that thinks you're giving a title. Why are you worried about losing a role player? You know, like wh- yeah. why don't you keep him? I, the, the last I'll say on this is if they if they go down again this year, you know, like they flop in the in the postseason, it would not shock me to see them try to move uh, Gary Harris in, in particular because of that contract that he got. This uh, I, I, forward this summer. Yeah, well, my hot take tonight, and I, I'll step on it now. I'll just do it because it's the segment. Right. My hot take is I'm just not sure they're committed to Jamal Murray right now. Ooh, okay. I think like this, there was this recent surge of play, the way that Monte Morris played. I I just don't know if. Like the lack of improvement from Jamal Murray this year is probably stinging, and mm-hmm. I, like I, I don't know if they're married to him to be honest. I, that I could see specifically because they paid him like he had already taken that next step, so like it was, it was a good, it, 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 kind of like a good faith deal. But he, you're right, he has not met he has not met those terms. <laughs> Very much like another Canadian who kind of got a good faith. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you, just, you know what, all, all it is is. We, we, if you're if you have a Canadian-born player, all you, all they have to do is promise that they'll pay you know uh, you know pay stricter <laughs> attention to the details and and really give a, a you know full effort and, and and do the things that are necessary in order to you know take that next step and you know they get a good deal. So it's know. okay because Shea Gilgis Alexander is better than both. That's all right. Yeah, you know what he is. He's probably the well. You know what? We'll go there another time. But yes, he is definitely better than them. All right. Next up, we've got a three-team deal between the Heat, Grizzlies, and Wolves. We've kind of alluded to it, you know, earlier. Um, so, you know, the, here, here we are. The Heat wound up with Iggy. Uh, as I mentioned on the timeline, you might not like, you know, being called that, but you know what? The timeline call you Iggy. I'm gonna call you Iggy. They also got Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. The Grizzlies ended up with Justice Winslow, Gorgie uh, Dang, excuse me, and Dion Waiters. Uh, and then the Wolves got James Johnson. So. The really the, the main question that I, and some of these other parts they ended up moving on to other other places and, and other deals. But the main question I have for this one, and we, we've kind of already discussed it, but do you now see Miami as an Eastern Conference contender with the additional length and toughness that they you know added on the perimeter, as well as the playmaking ability that Iguodala also comes with? I think the Heat are a contender in that they're on par with Philly, Boston, Toronto, okay, and uh, Indiana asterisk, I guess, but. You know, it's Milwaukee. I'd be shocked if Milwaukee's not in the finals this year. I think Milwaukee has 12-0 and 0 potential on the way to the finals this year. Like, truly, I do. But um, <clears throat> I'm kind of laughing because uh, Iguodala, who I think was a heel and rightfully got treated as a heel on the way out of here, wasn't good last year to end the year. Wasn't good. And... Maybe the Heat know something about Justice Winslow. Maybe they've seen something in his medicals where, like, he's never going to be the guy that we want him to be. He's never going to be good, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't know what Andre Iguodala gives. And, like, all due respect to him, and we've talked about it on the show, like, he might be a Hall of Famer. But I think his name might be carrying him here because I just don't know that Andre Iguodala, after sitting around for half a season with the way that he played last year, and given the fact that he's, what, 35 years old, 36 yeah. years old, I don't know how much he's bringing to the Heat. I, I almost think like Jay Crowder is an equal piece. 
So what's interesting about that is I, I saw this on the timeline. It might have actually been you that made the point, so let me know if it was. But uh, someone stayed, you know, someone said Iguodala was a guy that was, you know, vastly underrated early in his early in his career. Finally got, you know, the, the respect that he deserved you know, as he, you know, joined a great, you know, group of guys, you know, in Golden State, and now might actually be a bit overrated in terms of not, you know, not his legacy, but in terms of what should be expected from a 35 year old, you know, going to be, you know, 36 this year, uh, you know, at this stage in his career. Yeah, I, and you know what, but. They're, that's the culture thing. Like they think that this guy who's one and he can, he used to be able to defend is going to come in and make a huge difference. But this is a guy who was struggling to play minutes when Jacob Evans was getting minutes. Like I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how much Andre Iguodala has left in the tank. And I don't know that he drastically changes how I feel about the heat in any way, shape or form. I put it like this: If he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy as well as you know, and, and defend as an average at an average level, and provide the type of playmaking that we've seen from him, especially in playoff runs over the last you know over the last you know five six years, I think he could you know potentially put them right there in that mix in the in, in the Eastern Conference. I would I would pick Milwaukee in the series, but I would love you know, but I, I absolutely would love to see it. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not going to go overboard and and state that they're the you know the, you know outright uh, outright leaders in, you know, in, in, the, in the bullpen when we've got, like I said, a Milwaukee team that's on pace for 70 wins and just looking like a buzzsaw. All right, so we've got the Cavs and Pistons also agreed to the deal. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we all thought Drummond was heading to Atlanta a few weeks back you know, when Woj uh, stated it was imminent, uh, excuse me, imminent, easy for me to say, uh, but he's actually heading to Cleveland. The Cavs wound up with Andre Drummond. The Pistons ended up with John Henson. Brandon Knight, as well as a second-round pick. So, any chance in your estimation that Drummond sticks around in Cleveland moving forward? Because if I'm not mistaken, he does have a player option for that last year of the deal. Yeah, I mean, it's rumored that he's going to opt in. Okay. Which, which, I mean, would make sense because, uh, I mean, I've, I've bought double bubble packages cheaper than the Cavaliers bought Drummond. Yeah. I. Uh, you know, someone was joking on the timeline that they got more for Jordan Clarkson than they did for Drummond. And, and, yeah, I kind of did. Like, I, I just it, – it, it's, it's hard to fathom. And this is actually the trade I was most excited to talk about, believe oh. it or not, because okay. I want to go back, if you will, to 2016, you know, the year that the Cavaliers come into the playoffs and uh, they're playing the Detroit Pistons in the first round and Reggie Jackson is – is there and he's feeling himself and, you know, uh, the Pistons got swept. But, like, in that series, you have that Stanley Johnson quote about, I'm definitely in his head, him, his being LeBron James. And I looked the other day, I looked at the headlines. The headlines following this series were ridiculous. They were like, the best team to ever get swept, honest fight, pesky Pistons, they'll be back. Like, the, the Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond Pistons had this vibe coming out of that sweep, like they were really going to do something. And four years later, Andre Drummond is getting traded for for a high five to that same Cavaliers team that's now also broken. I this trade is just so bizarre on so many levels. I know that Andre Drummond's twenty points, twenty rebound games are pretty empty. I've talked before about how it's five of the last six years the Detroit defense has actually been better with him off the floor statistically, but this still just feels like why on earth not? Why on earth not get a guy who can do that for that cheap? 
You know, it's funny. I had in my notes here, you know, like I wonder if the Pistons got anywhere near enough for a guy that's been one of their franchise pillars for several, you know, several years. We've kind of addressed that already. But uh, yeah, look, I, I like Andre Drummond. I respect what he, you know, I respect what he's, you know, you know, been able to do and, and the consistency that, you know, that he's brought there. But look, and, and we hate to go here, but is it simply a matter of the league passing him up? you know, while he was, you know, still relatively young. And when I say passing him up, I'm not tur- I'm not saying that he's not a talented guy. I'm not saying he's not, you know, still a, you know, a big body, big, strong body, you know, with a certain amount of athleticism. But in terms of, like, the league, uh, the league shift and how the game is simply played. Yeah. You, you, you're not wrong. I mean, this is, this is where we are. This, this is it, – it was, I mean, in terms of people always want to bookend an era. They always want to point to a moment. Like, this is the moment. Like, Drummond went for pennies, and uh, Capella got dealt off a contender to a team so that they could start five guys under 6'7". Like, if if there was a time where people were flipping the switch, this is it. The 2020 trade deadline is when teams started to give up on big men. That's fair. Last thing I got on that on that deal, and it's actually just related to it. Do you think Cleveland missed the boat, missed the opportunity over the last couple years to actually move Kevin Love? Yeah, I think this might be a tough situation. Like, I, I don't know, but we, we talked about this before. I don't know how many teams it made sense to bring him in for the money that, that he costs. And if there was a team, I thought it was maybe the Suns, like maybe a Kevin Love for I, – I saw a report, I don't know how legitimate it was, that, like, the Suns were potentially thinking about moving Kelly Oubre. And, it, like, maybe there was something there. But, um, man, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that anybody's throwing anything for Kevin Love. Like, he, I don't know that he's hauling – Getting you much more than they got for Drummond, or they yeah, sent I mean, for Drummond. And, and and to be honest with you, yeah, pennies on the dollar type deals. That's what it looks like uh, could be in his future. All right, and, let's keep going with but, some of these smaller deals. No, go ahead. I mean, if Love is going to be unhappy, and you're going to have any more moments like you had earlier this year, you got to take the pennies and you just got to roll with it. But if Agreed. he's fine, if he's if he's fine to play this out, and that was like some sort of a misunderstanding. Then, like him being the last member of that like championship team and playing things out there, I think that's cool too. So, either or, maybe the addition of Drummond you know helps that. I don't know if they have a friendship or a connection of any sort, but you know maybe it does. We'll see. All right, some of these smaller deals we'll go through them pretty quickly. The Hawks and Kings you know agreed to a deal. Atlanta's receiving Dwayne Dedman and uh, excuse me, a second round pick. You know, actually two second round picks. Uh, both excuse me from twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. While Sacramento gets Jabari Parker and Alex Lynn, admittedly I don't have much on this one other than wondering what the Kings are doing and what Vlade is going to do with that roster moving forward. They just got some terrible, like, I have a friend who's a Kings fan, and he was, like, really Yikes. upset that people were banging on the Kings. Really? But how do you how do you not bang on them? Like, he is was he like, it's over, he's like, it's overstated. Like, they weren't even, like, Trevor Ariza and Dwayne Dedman weren't even good free agents. Who cares if they were gone? I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, they weren't good. And, and, I mean, no one was pretending they were really great signings. But just one more year where Sacramento had money that they did nothing to improve. And, you know, Darren Fox doesn't look better. That team doesn't look better. And they wasted another offseason with guys who aren't going to be part of their program. So, yeah, maybe it's an old punchline, and maybe it's not fun to keep kicking them while they're down. But, you know, it is kind of fun, and they are down. So, You, you know, I, I like – I wanted to believe in the Kings. In fact, going into the season, I was hopeful that they would be, you know, in the competition for that eighth spot. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's a mess. 
no disrespect to your friend, no disrespect to, you know, the Kings fans that I know, because I do know a ton, uh, but that's a mess. And if they're being honest with themselves, they see that as well. Well, and, and here's something too, like I understand to get the information, you got to carry some water, but Mark, <laughs> Mark Stein tweeting out that, you know, it, it's sources say whatever that the Kings are worried about Bogdan Bogdanovich and wanted to have the money to, to match him in the off season. I'm like, Give me a break. Like Bogdan Bogdanovich, you're worried about paying him 18, 19, 20 million years. How about you just pay a little tax? How about you just do the right thing for your franchise? Like, yeah. And someone was like, why would a losing team pay, pay tax? I'm like, fair point. In, in, uh, in, in an ideal world, you wouldn't pay the tax unless you're a championship contender. But when you suck as much as the Kings have sucked for a decade and a half, mm-hmm. and you are trying desperately – to sell other players on the fact that you're turning a corner and you have something and you're, you're, you're dealing out the guys that you gave money to, to, to save your own restricted free agent who there's no threat of him leaving. Cause you can match like, Oh, Oh, just roll over, just roll over and show your tummy because everybody knows, everybody knows they can take from you. Yeah. You're certainly not going to convince anybody that you're building something. If you're, if you're uh, turning over the roster every, you know, every couple of years, I mean, that's all I got, you know, with Sacramento. All right, another couple quick ones. The Rockets also sent Jordan Bell and a second to Memphis for uh, Bruno Caboclo. Ooh, this is a tough one. Do you know how to say Bruno's last name? Caboclo? Uh, he's a year away from being a year away from being Kevin Durant. There you go. Uh, for Bruno Caboclo and a second, so I guess that's a pick swap. Uh, but for Memphis, I do think Bell could be interesting. Uh, since he does have a couple years of playoff and finals you know, run experience, I uh, wasn't necessarily a fan overall of what the Grizzlies did at, you know, at this uh, deadline, you know, in moving out you know, several of their vets. Uh, but I do think they could be very interesting over the next couple of years if Winslow can get healthy and run alongside John Jaron. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't like Justice Winslow's game either, man. But, you know, yeah, whatever. They turned, they turned um, space into Iguodala and a first, turned it into Winslow, into turned it into Jordan Bell. Turned it in. Yeah, like they did a great job getting to where they've got. Even if Winslow doesn't pan out, they did a good job. So it's fine. All right, and the last one I've got here, and obviously let me know if I've missed any, especially any of the smaller ones, is the Wolves and Grizzlies also swap Gorgie Jang and James Johnson, which gives Memphis some side and Jang. Uh, and could be, you know, could be good for Minnesota if Johnson's you know, in shape and able to provide some toughness at the three and uh, three and four. Yeah, I don't know what Minnesota's going to do on defense, to be honest with you. We're not going to play I, defense, Josh. Yeah. We've established this. And, like, aside from D'Lo and Cat, I don't know what that lineup – like, do they like a Kogi enough? Does he start because he D's up a bit? Like, do they mm-hmm. like – is Culver going to play three? I, I don't know. Is Beasley going to not get to start? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I'm excited that a Minnesota's turning over a new leaf. And I, I do think a lot of the guys they have there are fun – so at least they'll be fun to watch on League Pass for a bit. All right, fair enough. Josh, let's get to biggest, biggest winners and losers. First, let me start with your biggest winners. Biggest winner, I think, would be the Clippers because I think, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got a guy that you think can help you on a title run and you stop the Lakers from getting that guy. So just right off the hop, I think it's the Clippers. Yep. Yeah, and you have any others that were close or in that same mix? Nope. 
Okay. <laughs> Let me. All right. Well, my biggest winners. I also had the Clippers. Like as I stated earlier, I think they solidified what was already a strong unit. Uh, they brought in some additional size. They can throw at wing scores. I did have some other teams in there, and I'll just quickly go through them. I like what the Heat did. You know, they brought in Giannis reinforcements. You know, you know for a relatively inexpensive package. Uh, and and when I say relatively inexpensive, I mean uh, you know what they you know what they gave up. Uh, obviously having to, you know, give Iggy that deal uh, that is no longer inexpensive, uh, but they weren't getting anything from Winslow this season. Anyhow, uh, I, you know, I'm intrigued by what the Timberwolves did. We've already covered that. And once again, I, you know, I like what the Rockets did, even if we don't necessarily know what's going to come of that. Uh, what I like your- what the, the thing is like, I like what the Rockets did too. And they would have been my other winner. It's just, I'm not sure they're a winner yet. So I don't yeah. want to say it, you know. Like, That's fair. That's fair. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go on the record, and, and if I'm wrong, hey, I'll admit it. Let me get your biggest losers. Um, I would say the Lakers are a loser because mm-hmm. I, I don't think they can beat Milwaukee or the Clippers as currently constructed. Um, they needed to do something. They didn't get it done. And maybe that is that Kyle Kuzma doesn't have the league-wide appeal that he maybe did his rookie year. Maybe they missed the chance to turn him into something. Mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. And I would say probably the Boston Celtics for a similar reason. Like I, I think Boston is very happy with who they are and everyone else is dropping big guys. So you get it. But I feel like Boston is a team that we talked about all year is like, they could kind of benefit from another big. Yeah. No, like someone who can, you know, protect the rim a little bit and they didn't get that guy. So um, Boston's still going to be a very good team. They sell that outside, outside shop, but I think that would have solidified them. So clearly we've been doing this show for a while. I've got the Lakers and Celtics as well. Lakers for all the reasons why you mentioned. And I, I did put so far because it's a matter of how are they going to do on the buyout market? Because I do think adding a guy like Darren Collison that will address the, the clear hole in the playmaking uh, you know, situation anytime LeBron doesn't have the ball or is off the court. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, convince Harkless to come across the hallway, maybe bring in another, you know, another guy with some length that can hit threes and Marvin Williams. We, we, I would at least, you know, you know, place them back in the conversation. But like you, I think they took a step back by not being active. And you're right. Uh, it, it may be a situation where Kuzma is, you know, no longer has quite the appeal. But I honestly think, to be honest with you, uh, you know, that Knicks situation, once the Knicks asked for Danny Green, that was no longer a conversation. So I'm not going to fault them for that. And like you, I agree, I agree the Celtics, uh, I wanted to see them find a way to bring in a defensive center, a little bit more size. Uh, but uh, obviously, you uh, obviously they feel good about, you know, about matching up in the postseason. What, what about, um, what about Neon Dia? Dion Waiters for who? Going to the Lakers. Nah. <laughs> Look, I've wanted <laughs> to believe in Dion Waiters. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest about it. I've wanted to believe in Dion Waiters for the last four years, if not more than that. I don't even know. However long he's been in the, in the league or in and out of the league, I've wanted to believe in him. But sometimes a guy shows you what you know shows you what he is the first time as well as the second time. And by the third time around, if you can't understand it, well, then you're the fool. There's no edibles in California. He'll be all right. Oh, yeah, you think? <laughs> but, no, uh, but, like, gosh, honestly, I haven't, been, I, I haven't been to California in two years, and I might still be uh, a little bit uh, impacted by something that I have. <laughs> there's, there's, I, I was coming from the joke side, but honestly, like, I, I think the Avery Bradley minutes suck. I think the Rondo minutes suck. Yes. I think, I think that, you know, it was a few years ago, but it, it waiters, the, the defense that he played for Oklahoma City that last year that Katie was there. Mm-hmm. And he hit some big threes. I know he's a moron. I know, <laughs> I know he's in shape. All the, all the stuff. But I, I think he's worth bringing in for a workout. I think, I think Dion Waiters is someone you at least take a look at because if you can. 
give the minutes that you're giving to Bradley and, and Rondo to callers and waiters. I think that is significant. You know, okay. If, if we're talking about it from that side of things, like just bring them in for a workout, not, you know, you know, not going overboard. You, you never know if they're bringing in JR reportedly they're bringing in JR Smith for a workout. So, you know, I guess if you're bringing in JR Smith, you can go ahead and bring in uh, Dion waiters and, and kick the tires. See, you know, see what you got there. I just I can't, uh, like the, yeah. I mean, I know JR has the obvious connection with LeBron, but JR Smith sucked, yeah. sucked the last couple of years. And he has had some terrible moments in the playoffs. As I just clearly, yeah. And he's 34 too. I mean, he's not young. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree with you. And that's, that's why I said, like, okay, fine. You know, Waiters is still sub-30, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you, you, you may as well see what you got there. Uh, before, uh, before we transition to the Knicks uh, and their front office situation, title chances. Is it still Bucks, Clippers, and then everybody else to you? I can't believe Dion Waiters is only 28. But anyway, um, it's, yeah. it's Clippers and Bucks, Lakers, Nuggets, Jazz, Celtics, Raptors. That's my three tiers. That's fine. That's fine. And uh, for mine, you know, it is it, pretty much clip, uh, Bucks and Clippers for me. Uh, obviously, that means the Clippers have leapfrogged the Lakers in this conversation. Uh, I've got the Lakers in third. And then after that, you know, you, you, that mixture of teams, Rockets, Heat, Celtics, you know, possibly the Nuggets. Uh, but yeah, no, no. If the Lakers aren't, I, you know, we actually agree on this. If the Lakers aren't able to, you know, pull off some, you know, significant moves, you know, post deadline, uh, I do not, I do not have them in my top, in my top tier. And that's, that's disappointing because I did feel like they had uh, the assets or at least the time in order to you know, address some of those deficiencies. All right. Yeah, man. Something I was looking at too. And like Ry Cole and I banged about this on, on Twitter. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. No, 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 go ahead. Okay, so the Lakers are hitting the 20th most threes in the league. Yeah. Okay. Do you know the last team outside of the top 12 in threes to win a title? It had to have been a while ago. I know, like, the last five, six were all, like, in the top 10, weren't they? Top eight. Yeah, they so last So, last team to do it was the 2012 Heat, like, which is go. maybe the last year Wade was really good. Braun was, you know, yeah, at his prime peak. Braun, a really good and Wade. Bosch. And Bosch, yeah, that's different. Yeah, I, I just – I think that's a problem. And, and like, I, I don't know that the Lakers – and maybe that Darren Collison helps that. Like, maybe it's the fact that they are playing two bigs. But I, I just don't think they're getting enough shot creation outside of LeBron James, and it's not leading to enough opportunities from three. And, you know, your guy Pete Zayas, like Lakers film room, Chimed in. He was like, you know what? This is kind of interesting. I, I, I kind of want to look into this. And my thought here is, you know, when, when the defense breaks down the playoffs or doesn't break down the defense, the, def- sorry, the defense doesn't break down, and it's a lot tougher, and calls aren't coming, um, it's easier to get a three than it is to run something inside. It's easier for somebody to hose up a three. And if they go in, great, and if they don't, great. But I, I just don't know without, outside of LeBron how the Lakers are getting those shots. And obviously relying on guys like Avery Bradley, KCP, Rondo, Caruso, and Quinn Cook is just – it's tough, man. Like, I, I see how good LeBron and AD have been together. I look at the net rating, and I'm just like, I, there's not enough. There might just not be enough there when, when the Clippers are playing at full speed. Look, the Lakers are playing Rajon Rondo 21 minutes a night in 2020. That tells you all you need to know in terms of their absolute needs for a playmaker. Darren Collison, while he's not going to be a, a world beater, he's not going to come in and you'll, like, you'll be that second-half comeback player. If he can just be a league average guy at that position, 
that's a significant improvement. So, like I said, I said it on the timeline not too you know, uh, a few days ago. The Lakers better know that Darren Collison is coming because if they don't, and if there's any chance that he signs with somebody else, whether it be the Clippers, Rockets, or anybody any other contender, they you know, honestly they're in trouble. I think you could argue you could make an argument. KCP's been the third best Laker this year. That and and that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. KCP, what, while I, which, I'm happy yeah. for him, but come on. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad like he's been rehabilitated and is um, succeeding in life. But you know, yeah, yeah. That 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 doesn't bode well for these Lakers. <laughs> but I will say, if you bring in an actual playmaker and a guy that's actually good on the, you know, like halfway decent on the defensive end, that second lineup, I honestly believe, gets significantly better. You got a bunch of guys that are running around out there waiting for Rondo to figure out what he's going to do with the ball. Watching Rondo, you know, heave up three pointers that he's airballing. Watching Rondo dribbling the traffic, you know, like which makes no sense whatsoever. Dribble into Anthony Davis, bringing his defender. Can you tell that I've been frustrated with Rajon Rondo's minutes? Yeah, and and but like this is the thing too, like this dependency. And I just see Lakers guys go. Well, Collison's more likely to come now that the Clippers. Um, got Isaiah Thomas, but then Isaiah Thomas is getting cut. But anyway, mm-hmm. all these conversations, like, yes, Collison has shot 40% from three, four straight years. Um, he retired early. It was surprising. He's only 32. But he's a guy who's sat out all year now, and he's not going to mm-hmm. come back in game shape. And we've been talking about this for six weeks, and he's in the booth with, you know, Jeannie Bus the other night or whatever. And it's just like, there's an awful lot of hope being put on a guy who's not played all year and wasn't sure he really wanted to play basketball anymore coming in late. I just, that's not a good sign either. That's not, a, that's not a good sign that everyone's like, we just really need this veteran point guard to come out of retirement. And that's going to turn the ship. Like I wouldn't want to hang my hat on that. But Josh, here's the thing. It's either that or continuing to play Rajon Rondo. And if you watched enough Laker games, you would know anything but that. And this is no disrespect to a guy that's an NBA cha- NBA field champ and has had a you know had a great stretch in the, you know especially early on in his career. It's no disrespect. Just right now, he's washed, and that's it. Yeah, you can disrespect Rondo if you on the show. This is my show, and I, you know, no, no, you know, he, you he know, quit you know. on the Ma- he quit on the Mavericks in the playoffs. He's been washed for six years. The only reason he's here is because of his connections and his name. Yeah, we, like go ahead, be disrespectful. Rondo sucks. He's he sucked for a long time. Yeah, you know how it is, man. I, I try not, you know, like the, the all these guys would, you know, would absolutely destroy either of us. So I try not to say like a guy sucks, but yeah, this year he is. Yeah, but neither of us are getting paid a million dollars to play basketball. This is true. This is Who true. Cares? Of all course right. you can destroy me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All day. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it is what it is. All right. Let's go to the Knicks front office situation. All right. So my question for you is, are you surprised that they kind of did a total 180 in a span of like three to four days? Because earlier in the week, we heard rumors that the team and in particular Jim Dolan uh, being committed to, you know, bringing in, you know, Masai Ujiri, when in reality, they wound up going with, a you know, the less common route, but it becoming more common. Uh, they hired a longtime player agent in Leon Rose uh, to head the organization after firing President Steve Mills. Yeah, and I'm fine with it. My only, my only criticism, my only real thought on this is that, you know, Leon Rose is coming in. They put out the PR piece that Dolan's not on the team, but he's going to listen to new leadership, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Why does it have to be so fast? You already missed the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why, what's the rush to not, you know, do your due diligence and see? And, like, 
just a stat about the Raptors that I thought was interesting the other night. On their 12-game winning streak, they've had eight different names lead them in plus-minus. Terrence Davis, Marcus Gasol, Fred Van Fleet, Serge Ibaka, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, and Chris Boucher. Like, their whole roster has been, like, gotten the game ball at some point over the 12 games. Yep. They lost Kawhi and Denny for nothing. They're second in the conference, their best record in the NBA. You know, Masai seems to be worth it. You know, like, and if you thought you had a chance, if you think you have a chance, you know, why, why aren't you just waiting to see what, what's up? You know, what, I think what, there's a, no, I, I think there's a chance that they, that uh, Masai got, or the word got back from Masai that it's not going to happen. Maybe, like, but, I, then, I, but then is there not anyone else that you want to look at? Look well, at, maybe, like what, yeah. Well, maybe know, Leon was that. their second choice. Maybe, 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 they, maybe, you know, maybe they, they had done their due diligence and they decided if we can't get Masai, we're going with Leon. And that, the reason why I throw that out there is because you're right. This was incredibly fast. So it's like, it makes me think like, okay, fine. Number one's not there. Fine. Let's go ahead and get number two. Well, what, what if, what if Daryl Morey's available this summer and they're like, Hey, dang. Mm, that's Moore, an interesting situation. Daryl Morey would have been great. You know, what, what if Sam Hinkey puts it out there that he wants to try something new? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying either of those guys are the right choice and the end Rose is going to fail. Just once again, they're just jumping into something that doesn't seem like a ton of thought. Like, why so was he, Steve Mills allowed to stay anyway? He was part of the whole Phil Jackson regime. And, like, his hands were already dirty. Why did he get, like, you know, the extra few years here and then there was no foresight on – I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. Maybe they did have these conversations. It just felt rushed. Yeah, it, 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 well, I'll put it like this. I want to give – I always want to give a team the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the Knicks haven't done much to earn that over the last however many you know, years and decades. Uh, but part of me thinks there's no way they go, you know, this you know, with this much of a change unless they had already made the determination. It should be mentioned that uh, while Scott Perry is rumored to, you know, be in the future plans with the team, you know, just perhaps in a new capacity – uh, the rumors are that uh, for, you know, in, you know, for the GM position, that former and longtime uh, Grizzlies GM Chris Wallace, as well as former uh, Nets capologist Bobby Marks, and former player and you know, assistant GM with the Pistons Malik Rose are all in a mix of candidates for the GM position. Uh, do you expect them to make a, a quick determination on that, or do you think uh, you know, they will do their due diligence? I'm sure that we'll have news in a week or two. Probably so. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was sitting there laughing as I asked the question because, yes, we will. All right, what do you think it means in terms of the Knicks moving forward uh, when you take into consideration that Rose recently represented guys like Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Joel Embiid, Devin Booker, and, as the, you know, the aforementioned Kyle Kuzma? <laughs> Wait a slide. <laughs> yeah. That was, a nice, that was a nice little slide at the end. That is what um, I do. I'm so tired. I almost didn't. I was almost just rolled over. I don't. I don't know, man. It doesn't make. How much more sexy can you make New York? That's you know, true. how much more sexy can you make the Knicks? They play in the building that everybody wants to play in. They play in the city that everybody wants to live in. You know, they've got the brand that everybody loves, and they still suck, and nobody wants to go there. And KD's, you know, urinating on their grave. He was never even considering them. After, you know, they really thought, you know, getting out of KP and making all the moves they did that he was coming. And, you know, he really spurned them and embarrassed them this last year. If I was an Knicks fan, I would just hate KD. Because they're I, – I would bet a billion dollars that KD had somebody reach out to the Knicks and put out a I'm, – I'm leaning your way. Because that's the only way that Porzingis deal happened. But anyway, I just yeah. – 
I just don't think that, that anything's changing while Dolan's the owner because that people just don't believe. I think that's fair. Uh, quickly, I'll say this for Rose's uh, perspective or you know, for his job moving forward. I would honestly turn the roster over, over for the most part. Yeah, I think the jury's still out on Barrett, obviously. Uh, so I wouldn't move him at this time. But And they do have some interesting pieces in Mitchell and maybe even Alonzo Trier. But a lot of those guys are simply back-end rotational guys. That uh, So I would, I would expect them to revamp this entire roster over the next 12 to 18 months. Barrett has been so disappointing. Yeah, he has. And, and you know what? I've been taking it easy on you, because, specifically with Barry, because, yeah, he's been, he, you know, he's been pretty bad. He's been pretty bad. He, right. Like, I, I mean, he, he, was, he was out here a good stretch, and so we'll see what he looks like to close the year. And he's a rookie, and I'm trying not to, you know, close the door on him. But oh, right. with the exception of a few good games, he's been hard to watch at times, like this year. But that team sucks, too. So, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, we'll see what they look like moving forward. All right, let's get to three for the road. It's the all-star edition now that uh, rosters are set. Uh, Team LeBron, the starters wound up being uh, LeBron, AD, Kawhi, Luka, and Harden. Team Giannis, the starters wound up being Giannis, of course, Embiid, Siakam, Kimba, and Trey Young. And now the reserves are kind of where the, you know, it kind of you know flew off the rails for Giannis in my estimation. Uh, he allowed uh, LeBron to grab Damian Lillard. Jokic, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and Domantas Sabonis. While Giannis, of course, took his teammate, Chris Middleton, but, you know, he took him with the first pick. And I, I understand that type of loyalty, but, you know, I'll, 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 I'll come back to that. Uh, he also got Bam Adebayo. You got Rudy Gobert. You got Jimmy Butler. You got uh, Kyle Lowry, Brandon Ingram, and Donovan Mitchell. I didn't see it as quite as lopsided as, you know, some of the Twitter reaction was, but I did. But I'll come to you with this question. Did Giannis make a mistake by trying to be loyal and grabbing Middleton right away when he probably could have waited a few picks and got a, uh, got, ended up with a better squad? Yeah, I mean, I don't really care about this. This is the thing. I don't, I don't care about this draft. I'm already bored of it two years in. <laughs> two years in a row, LeBron has just outmaneuvered. Giannis is playing the checkers. He has no idea what he's doing out there. He's not a very good GM. LeBron is making all the right business decisions. He's taking the more talented guys. This looks; these two teams look worse than the old East-West layout. Um, yeah, I'm already over it, and then, and and it's not going to be a competitive game again. Spoiler. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm glass half empty. I'm I'm really pessimistic about this All-Star game, and I think the format is it isn't what I hoped it would be. All right, that's fair. I had a couple other questions related to the expectation for the game, but we can scrap that because you pretty much have already given that. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want TNT to run a live poll where we put guys on the team we want them to be. Ooh. This is what I want. So you want more impact in terms of fan voting, even though we both complained about fan voting. No, 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 no. I want the coaches to pick the all-stars. I want the best 12 guys from either side. Then I want a pool. Pick the two captains, let the fans pick the whatever, however you want to do the captains. But then I want Joel Embiid's name to come up. And there's five minutes or three minutes or whatever works. <laughs> and a poll goes up and we watch the results live as Shaq and Chuck, Chuck make jokes. And does he go to Team Giannis or does he go to Team LeBron? And we just watch the social media votes live. And then we do the same thing with Pascal Siakam. So then we can do st- fun stuff like put KD and Russell Westbrook on the same team. Then we can do fun stuff like put Trey and Luke against each other, which they are in this game. But I, I want the the interaction with the fans because I, you know, there's no point in having a captain who doesn't know what he's doing out there anyway. All right, that's fair. Do you have anything further to say about your hot take? 
Uh, no, I'll, I, I got another one, though. I, I made another one on the fly. Drop it. Miles Turner is done with the Pacers after this year. They're committing to Sabonis, and he'll be somewhere else. Fully agreed on that. Uh, I think we both have talked about that over the, you know, over the season, and I agree. My hot take is Masai ultimately gets a sweetheart deal from the Rockets. Uh, and, you know, specifically because, you know, he views those assets as better to work with, uh, as well as, you know, in uh, aiding his ability to ultimately retool in Houston. Uh, I think it's a better opportunity. And I recognize that uh, Daryl Morey is in that position and it's disrespectful to, uh, you know, to, you know, to say that, but you know, these are the facts. I think the Messiah is going to take over his job. No, I don't think so. I think, you know what? I think Pascal Siakam at 25 is better than Harden at 31. And um, okay. not, not, not a better player, sorry, but just like a better asset to have for the next two, three years. For the next, the next, or even the next 10 years, if you're thinking and about it. Not to do this because I hope Giannis stays and stuff, but I, I think whether it's Giannis or someone else, like I think the, the Raptors, the way they've played, the way that they've carried themselves with Siakam and OG and Fred Van Fleet, I think they're in a good position to be back in the free agency next year from now. So I, I don't know. I think all of the Maasai stuff is kind of overblown. So here's one for you uh, just quickly on that. I think if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, it's to line up wherever Maasai is. Interesting. All right. So we appreciate you and we thank each of you for tuning in this week. Once again, the episode 99 of Hot Takes and Shop Picks. We remind you to keep that feedback coming via Twitter. That's at Josh Everly, at Jabari Davis NBA, and at Just Op, super producer Josh, uh, Just Op for the show, as well as at Hoop Mag for all of our quality Hoop Magazine's content. You've been listening to Hot Takes and Shop Fakes, presented by Hoop Magazine. Catch us on the web at hoopmag.com and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify.